This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yeah. Carlson, Yes. yes, welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Yes. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always is Brian Calm. Hello, Brian. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Oh, man, it's going good. I feel like we just have so many players to talk about. I made a list of players. You made a list of players. I feel like we have two episodes worth of players, but we're going to try to shove them all into one episode. But before we get to that, let's just mention that the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey podcast is brought to you by Daily Faceoff, presented by Daily Faceoff, your source for starting goalies and line combinations, you know, anything you need when you're setting your lineup, when you're looking at who to take, you probably could find the information you need at dailyfaceoff.com. I personally could have used Daily Faceoff a lot more effectively yesterday when I assumed that I had my goalie wins in the bag. My opponent had Rask and Tokarski only as her remaining goalies, and I was already ahead in wins, and according to Roto World, Carey Price was going to play yesterday. Then, all of a sudden, the Habs game starts, and Tokarski was playing. I was at risk of tying in the goalie wins because I didn't start any of my goalies. If I would have checked Daily Faceoff, I would have known that Tokarski was the starter. So you got to use Daily Faceoff to check those things, people. But luckily for me, the Sabres beat the Canadians for the second time in a row. Any of you who have Enroth must be pretty happy right now. Yeah, Enroth is on his best stretch of the season right now. Five fantastic appearances, four of them starts, and of course my opponent had him this week. Oh, <laughs> Brian, it seems to happen all the time to you. All these like crap goalies that your opponent has right when they finally are hot. Nicholas Backstrom was another this week. We'll, we'll get more to that later. So Elon, what are our headlines? Okay, let's start with the number one fantasy hockey headline of the week. Sometimes I wonder if people can guess what the number one headline is going to be, because I think this one's pretty obvious. Brian Elliott went down with an injury for the Blues, which was bad news for his owners. Bad news for the Blues overall? I'm not sure because they have a great backup in Jake Allen, who has taken over the job and won both of his games since Elliott went down. And so this is, of course, good news for Jake Allen owners who had him as a pretty solid 1B, but all of a sudden he becomes the starter in St. Louis. Unless, you know, the reports that are coming out bear true that they're going to sign Martin Brodeur. Maybe that means that Brodeur is a guy to add. Is Allen a must-have at this point? Brian, break it all down for us. 
Allen was nearly a must-have already, I think. He was 1B, and I think a lot of us expected him to make a real push for 1A in St. Louis at the end of the year, and anybody starting in St. Louis as in good shape, as we can see, with case in point, Brian Elliott. And the Blues do seem to have made a deal with Brodeur in the event that they choose to sign him. So wheels are in motion. I think if Brodeur signs... It just helps Allen's fantasy value more, and I don't think it does a whole lot for Brodeur. I tweeted out a chart several times over the last week that showed Brodeur's even-strength save percentage compared to the average even-strength save percentage in the NHL over the last five years, and he was consistently beneath it. He, like, reached it once, and then he started plummeting over the last two years, and that's on a fairly defensively adequate team, and and that may be understating it even, in New Jersey. He was also getting plenty of rest doing that, sharing time with Schneider, and I guess he'll get plenty of rest should he be signed to the Blues, because I expect Allen to see the bulk of the starts. Like, I'm talking at least 7 out of 10. If Brodeur gets in there, he's not going to help your numbers unless your league counts saves or goalie starts. But of course, I did mention that St. Louis is very strong defensively and that could help him. So it's not completely ridiculous to think he might put up good numbers, but any numbers he puts up, I just want it to be clear. They're thanks to his team and not to his ability. He's finished as a goaltender. Yeah, it's pretty funny though. Since the news came out that Rodeur might sign with the Blues, he got grabbed in both of my pools, including the one that you and I are in together. In fact, the owner dropped Ryan O'Reilly to pick up Martin Rodeur which I thought was a bit bananas. We actually ended up making a waiver claim on O'Reilly, and, you know, that hasn't bared any fruit yet, but I like his chances, at least better than Brodeur at this point. Yeah, that was definitely someone just going off his name, and I don't think our police that are listening to us right now should dare make that same mistake, especially just just take a look and see what other goalies are available, because this particular fellow in our league could have instead had Nicholas Backstrom, who we said had a fantastic week this week, Anton Kudobin, who's not seeing as many starts as we thought he would, but I think eventually still will. Victor Fast, who is seeing a lot of time lately, and capable backups like Thomas Grice and Al Montoya, who's in as long as Luongo is injured. I think Brodeur is a very, very curious choice for anybody to add to their team, unless you are literally bone dry in the goalie department. Yeah, it would be different if St. Louis didn't have Allen. You know, if this was another team, say like Dallas with with Lindback as the backup, you know, if Lettinen goes down and then you hear news that Dallas is going to sign Brodeur, then there's a good chance Brodeur might, you know, take the starter role while Lettinen's injured. But here in St. Louis, Allen is doing great. He's played 11 games. He has eight wins, 918 save percentage, just a bit above two goals against average. Like, he's doing fantastic. There's no reason to think that St. Louis won't ride Allen, especially since people were thinking he's getting groomed to be the starter in the future anyways. Yeah, and the Blues really don't have any other options in goal. They only have two other goaltenders that have a pro contract with them right now, and their names are Binnington and Lundstrom, and I'd look into their details, except it doesn't really matter. I think we see the point that they're trying to make by signing Brodeur, saying there's nobody that they want to take out of their development to begin backing up very sparsely with the big league team. Okay, and before we move on to the next headline, I want to mention, you mentioned Thomas Grice on Pittsburgh, just something that triggered something that I saw on our patron-only Facebook group. Someone mentioned, and then I looked into it, and this is true, Pittsburgh has a ton of back-to-back games this season. I think they're one of the highest in the league, and especially in the fantasy hockey playoffs. So I looked way ahead into April when the fantasy hockey playoffs would be happening, and Pittsburgh has back-to-back games in most of the weeks. And that's good news for someone like Thomas Grice, because usually when a team plays back-to-back, they'll play both goalies. 
So if you want to grab a backup goalie that you want to hang on to for the rest of the season, I'd say Grice is probably your guy because he's going to get more starts than some other capable backups like, I don't know, a Svedberg or a Ranta. I don't know for sure that he's going to get more starts, but with back-to-backs, it's definitely a good thing you noticed. And especially in Pittsburgh, I feel like they are very wary of Fleury's energy levels and fatigue and want to make sure he's rested going into the playoffs. I think Grice is a good pickup now for later i mean most of our listeners hopefully are in a good spot in their leagues and are going to contend for the playoffs you don't want to be overly hubristic and look too far ahead that's a mistake but grace is going to help you through the rest of the season in the meantime so i think that's some good advice elon it's never too early to start thinking about those last few weeks except it is that's not true but maybe now's an okay time to start (laughs) yeah well you know don't thank me i saw it on the patron group but anyway let's go on to the second headline let's talk about some outjuries we talked about an injury in brian elliott But there's been a few really interesting players that have come off injury in the past week, and some of them have made an impact. And I think the one who's made the biggest impact is Steven Weiss on Detroit. It's been a long time since Weiss has been a regular starter in the NHL. He missed pretty much all of last season after signing with Detroit. The season before for Florida, he only played 17 games, and he also wasn't putting up points even when he was playing. He had four points in 17 games for Florida. Then the next season, four points in 26 games for Detroit. And then this year, he's come back from his injury finally. He seems healthy. And in the three games since his return, he has three goals and two assists for five points in three games. All of a sudden, Stephen Weiss is playing like it's, you know, five, six years ago, and he's the top scorer on a somewhat decent Florida team. So I'm sure Weiss is still available in the majority of leagues. Brian, what do you think? Should people be rushing to pick up Stephen Weiss right now? Is he the NHL superstar that he was a few years back as an available free agent in our leagues? No, he's not. He's not. I'm sorry to burst that bubble. He has three goals on six shots, and you know where I'm going with this. He scored on 50% of his shots. That's not going to continue. Six shots over three games is not something I'm going to get excited about. Although, yes, you're right. Any little sign with Stephen Weiss is good, especially like it was seen as a really savvy signing by Detroit when they grabbed him, but he's getting paid a lot. That doesn't really matter for fantasy hockey in most leagues, though. It doesn't help that he's playing with Pavel Datsuk, and I wonder if that's opening a little bit more offensive opportunity for him. Wait, you said it doesn't help. I assume you mean it doesn't hurt. Yes, hurt. It doesn't hurt him, and it also doesn't hurt him that he's playing with Pavel Datsuk on the power play as well, on the wing's second unit, although their two units seem, you know, fairly even, at least closer to each other than the difference is on most teams. So I don't know, Brian, you answered no, but then aside from this thing about shooting percentage, everything you're saying sounds appealing. He's playing on the power play. He's playing on a top six line with Pavel Datsyuk. Why not take a flyer on Stephen Weiss? You're absolutely right, Elon. Why not? I usually never get the guys to take a flyer on and, you know, maybe eight times out of 10, it doesn't hurt. But I also miss out on players like Forsberg and Strom, both of whom we're going to talk about later on the show, and Boychuk, all these guys who do go on great runs, and I just have my boring old lineup. So yes, if you want to do something exciting and you want to take that risk, then go for it. I still would not expect a whole lot coming from him, but there are positive signs. Any sign of life is a positive sign right now for Stephen Weiss. Well, last week, you really pumped up Thomas Tatar. You said, if you were going to ask a question about Abdelkader, at least first look at Tatar. So you basically were saying, Tatar is higher than Abdelkader. Where does Weiss fit for you currently with those three? Weiss is probably third of the group. I mean, Abdelkader has definitely held things up 
longer than I thought he would, and I'm reticent to even put him second above Weiss, but the fact that he's done more over more games is a bonus to me, so I would take him second to Tatar, and then Weiss third, but maybe they're interchangeable, those last two. The next outjury I want to talk about, and Brian, did we coin the term outjury? I feel like we did, but maybe that's not possible. No, we definitely did. That's a trademark term. All right, so the next trademark keeping Carlson outjury that we want to report on is Ryan McDonough on the New York Rangers. He was injured for a while, but now he's back in the two games since his return. He's got two assists, one in each game. He's playing over 22 minutes. He's basically back to being the mainstay defenseman on New York, and he's not the only Ranger defenseman who's back. Now it's been already a week or two, but Dan Boyle is back on the blue line as well. So I guess my questions to you regarding these guys, Brian, is are McDonough and Boyle both, you know, must-ads for any people who are in leagues where they, you know, are still on the free agent list? And also, what does this do for other Rangers defensemen? I assume guys like Dan Girardi, who are maybe seeing more power play time at one point, he must be back to being pretty irrelevant. Well, Boyle is playing on average about 22 minutes a night, and I think he is a must-add. If he's even available in your league, he should have been stashed away on somebody's IR. There's no reason that he should have been a free agent. If he is, he's a great add. If you got excited about John Klingberg, you can also afford to get excited about Dan Boyle. That doesn't mean swap one for the other, but it does mean that you should probably consider adding him to your team if there's somebody not doing anything for you right now. So with Boyle's 22 or so minutes, and McDonough played 22 minutes last night, although Boyle did not play, it's worth mentioning, but I think when they both play, they are going to eat up about 40 or 45 minutes of ice time, and that's going to come out of the ice times of guys like Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl and Kevin Klein and Matt Hunwick. So Boyle and McDonough's values goes right back to where they should be, and every other Rangers defenseman goes down, including if, you, if you're even just counting on them for peripherals. Like, I added Dan Girardi this week, hoping for blocks. It was a bad time to add him. It didn't really work out. Ryan McDonough, by the way, in his return to the lineup, like I said, more than 22 minutes, one assist, plus one, three hits, three blocks, and three shots on goal. That is a fantastic stat line for a defenseman. Okay, and the last outjury I want to talk about is another player who just recently came back and made an immediate impact. So Joffrey Lupul is back for Toronto. His first game, he didn't do much, but yesterday against Washington, he got himself a goal and an assist, both on the power play. So a big return for Joffrey Lupul. And I am curious to know, Brian, your thoughts on the Toronto Maple Leafs at this point. There's been a bit of shuffling. Nazem Kadri, who was dropped off both power plays just last week, is now back on the top power play. And in this big win against Washington yesterday, he also picked up an assist. So yeah, for both those guys, I'm pretty curious to know your take on what their point projection should be for the rest of the season, since they've sort of been bouncing around the Leafs lineup. Well, Lupul and Kadri have actually been line mates for the majority of Lupul's time in the lineup, except last night Lupul spent most of his time with David Clarkson and Peter Holland, which isn't as bad as it would have been last year. Clarkson has seven goals now this year. I'm still not buying in. But Holland is actually having a fairly steady, consistent season as like a depth scorer in the bottom six. But until his two points last night, Lupul had three points in 10 games, which is not impressive. Although there is a precedent of him doing fairly impressive things during his time in Toronto, but I think a lot of that will depend on his line mates and his deployment. We're not sure where that's going to land with him after just one game back in the lineup. And we've had this conversation before about Kadri, and it stands for Kadri still, too. He's 
gotten to see some time on the first power play unit and has found himself on a line with Mike Santarelli and Leo Komarov, both of whom have more points than Kadri so far this year. So I suppose it's a good thing for him to be playing with them. I think he was stuck a lot in the bottom six of the lineup, getting saddled with poor possession players and weak deployment. But again, things seem to shuffle fairly regularly in Toronto. As long as he's on the first power play unit, though, he's at least worth a spot on your watch list. Up until now, I'm not sure he's been worth a spot on your roster, but it's so complicated with him because you put him in the right situation and he is definitely fantasy relevant, like emphatically fantasy relevant. Unfortunately, he just hasn't had that opportunity yet this year, but I hope he will soon. And one last thing about the Leafs I want to say, maybe just because I picked him up and I want to get some credit, but... Someone who really deserves credit is Tyler Bozak. He's, I don't know, quietly or not, but putting up an amazing season. So far, he has 22 points in 23 games, 11 goals and 11 assists. He's second on the team in points behind Kessel. But like for a guy like Tyler Bozak, who a lot of people seem to say is only good you know, if he plays with Kessel, he's putting up almost a point per game. So I feel like he, yeah, just deserves some credit. I don't know if we could really give advice for people to pick him up since he's probably already owned, but good for you. Tyler Bozak. Well, Elon, it's Phil Kessel and prime power play opportunities. He has nine of his 22 points on the power play so far this year. He has two shorthanded goals. I think both have come on breakaways, so that's a little fluky too. And of his seven even strength points, according to Hockey Analysis, six of them have come with Kessel and Van Riemsdyk. I think a lot of people can do what he's doing in his position. However, you're right, he is the one in his position, and he is taking advantage. So regardless of how good he is, if you take him off that line, as long as Randy Carlyle does not take him off that line, it doesn't really matter. He is a really great fantasy producer. I feel like maybe he's a poor man's Chris Kunitz, who took a long time for a lot of people to say and believe, okay, yeah, he plays with Crosby, but who is he otherwise? The answer is it doesn't really matter as long as he's playing with Crosby. And such is the same with Bozak. As long as he's playing with Kessel, it doesn't matter how good he is as a player without Kessel. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that with all the Leafs line shuffling, Bozak pretty much has been with Kessel the whole time. There was a small stretch where he was moved elsewhere, but he quickly got bumped back up to that top line. Let's move on to the next fantasy hockey headline of the week. And I wanted to go to Edmonton and talk about Justin Schultz. He got healthy scratched in a game a couple of days ago when the Oilers played Nashville. The Oilers didn't score any goals that game. I don't know if that had any effect on the coach's decision to bring him back yesterday against St. Louis, though he didn't do much. No goals, no assists, one shot on goal. Brian, what do you think about Justin Schultz? A lot of people talk about him as, you know, the main number one power play quarterback in Edmonton, which you'd think should bring a lot of value. But at the same time, people make fun of how he's not such a great defensive player. And I don't care about his defensive abilities since my league doesn't count plus minus. I just care about how many points he'll put up. But at the same time, if he's a poor defensive player, then maybe his role gets diminished and he gets less of an opportunity to put up offensive numbers. So at this point, Brian, what do you think is the value of Justin Schultz? And actually, funny coincidence, I just took a look at the patron Facebook group, and one of our patrons, Sam, just 15 minutes ago, asked the same question. What's everyone think about Justin Schultz? I own him in a league that only counts goals and assists with bonus points for power play and demand points, so his minus 7 rating doesn't hurt me. Is he worth hanging on to and hoping the Oilers' power play unit he QB starts to produce? Well, the scratch I think you could have seen coming if you saw his ice times going into it. They were two of the three lowest time on ice totals in Justin Schultz's career, and that tidbit comes from Matt Henderson on Twitter at Archaeologi. And Justin Schultz is a player that a lot of Oilers fans have had 
problems with lately. I think at the beginning when he came in, everyone was excited and they said, well, all the offense he creates is worth it for the defensive mistakes, but the defensive mistakes seem to just be more glaring and more glaring and no improvement seems to be getting made on that front. And the Oilers are in a position right now where they can't afford those sort of really demoralizing, discouraging mistakes. And perhaps it's time for Schultz to pay the price for his poor defensive play and that his offensive play is not going to win the day. Offensively, he has managed to get 10 points in 23 games so far this season. That's two goals and eight assists with three power play assists, which is not bad. That is about, you know, what you'd expect for a first or second defenseman or power play quarterback on a team like the Oilers. But I can't endorse him really as a pickup until I feel like he earns the confidence of his team and coach. And I don't know when that's going to happen. So if your league counts plus minus, the minus is probably going to hurt you for a little while longer. If it doesn't, he's probably a good depth guy. But Elon, you had him earmarked as a keeper option for your team. And I don't think he's at that level. It's really hard to tease apart the offense and defense side of it. I think a lot of casual watchers see only the offense and the people who are reading the more articles and underlying numbers see only the defensive issues and both exaggerate either side. Maybe, although I I definitely don't think his defensive problems are over-exaggerated. And I'm trying very hard not to let that affect my thoughts on his offense, but I feel like he should be a more well-rounded player and somebody that we know the Oilers are going to count on and not, say, sign a free agent or let someone pass him on the depth chart before committing to him as being a key component of my fantasy team. Yeah, like you said, I had high hopes for him going into this season. I drafted him somewhat high in my draft. And so far, yeah, I'm not so disappointed with the offense, but definitely worried about, you know, these healthy scratches. And like you say, people taking over his position. Definitely someone to keep an eye on. And now to the final fantasy hockey headline of the week. Let's talk about the Winnipeg goalie situation because I feel like, at least in terms of fantasy, there seems to be a controversy brewing. Like I feel like Michael Hutchinson has done much better than Andrzej Pavlik. And Pavlik has actually been having a pretty good year. But Hutchinson definitely has shown himself to at least be worthy of more. And it seems like other poolies are starting to agree because I've been seeing an uptake in the ads for Michael Hutchinson. So just to give you some numbers, in eight games played so far this season, he's got four wins, but listen to this. He has a 947 save percentage and a 1.56 goals against average. It's unfortunate that Winnipeg doesn't seem to score goals when he's in the net. But Brian, I'm very curious to know, does Michael Hutchinson have any value? Is he going to get the starts he deserves in Winnipeg, or is he still going to be playing only one out of every four games or so? Right now in Winnipeg, it looks like they're trading starts. Over the last nine games, Hutchinson has managed to grab four of those, and like you said, he's performed incredibly in his last seven appearances. He has put up fantastic numbers, mind you. One of those appearances was just 18 minutes and nine saves. But in the rest of them, he hasn't stopped any fewer than 93.8% of the shots he's faced. He hasn't allowed more than two goals. He's doing fantastic, and that's really gold right now for a Winnipeg team that has had a lot of trouble finding the net. And here are some numbers that I think illustrate the situation even better than just mentioning that maybe their trading starts over the last couple weeks. In October, Andre Pavlik saw 93% of Winnipeg's goaltending minutes. In November, he saw 62% of Winnipeg's goaltending minutes. And I've been following Hutchison very closely, at least notes in the media, because I own him and desperately need him to become at least a 1B if I want to really make sure I contend in my league this year. 
And there's been a lot of positive bits and pieces coming out, the sort of bits and pieces that do suggest that there is a change in goaltending structure, possibly afoot in Winnipeg. It's a long time overdue. It's not like Pavlik hasn't had a chance to prove himself over the last several years, going all the way back to his Atlanta days. It seems to me as though slowly Hutchinson is gaining the trust of his team and more importantly, his coach. And I do like him as like a number three fantasy option going forward. At the start of the season, I did not think I'd be saying this at least so soon. Like I said, he's played only 7% of the Winnipeg's goaltending minutes in October. And those minutes were actually terribly lousy. He stopped 10 of 13 shots and got pulled. But since then, he's been fantastic and is definitely worth an ad if you're in a league with deep goalies and he's available. All right, and for those keeping track, that's now two under-the-radar goalie ads that we've recommended so far on this show. Hutchinson and Grice also, depending on what you're looking for. And before moving on to the other players that we want to talk about on this episode, let's take a moment to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson, who are helping to put this show on the air. So thanks to the following people who signed up as Keeping Carlson patrons last week. Mike Polk, Matt Gunn, Nick Poshek, Barry Fry, Jeff Turcott, Andrew Scott, Jonas Erickson, Finn Coe, Brandon Primo, and Evan Werkenthien. Not sure if I pronounced that last guy's name right, but thank you guys so much for signing up. Not only for your contribution to the show, your meager $5 a month, which really means a lot to us, but also your contributions to the Keeping Carlson patron-only Facebook group, which is really, I think, the place to be right now. I mean, Reddit's a good place. You know, you go to the Fantasy Hockey subreddit, you ask a question, you get some advice. It's pretty much that way on the Facebook group as well. And I think potentially a little bit better because every single time someone asks a question, a bunch of people are giving advice, Brian and I included. I have a lot of fun just browsing through that Facebook group every day. So if you're interested in becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, you could sign up and join by going to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. That's right. I set up a URL for us. so I don't have to send you over to Patreon. You could go right to keepingcarlson.com slash patron and sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson. And that's patron without the E, just to be clear. And Elon, we also had our audit spots fill up really quickly when we initially opened them. We're going to open a few more. So if you're interested in having your fantasy team audited by Elon and I over email or live chat, check in on that page at some point during the week. We will open up a few more spots. You can even go right now and click a button that says notify me when spots become available. So you will be the first to know when we have added those extra spots for people who did not get in the first time. And yeah, one last thing I'll mention, we have scheduled our next patron cast, which is like a call-in show for the patrons to call and ask questions and then it gets released as a bonus podcast that's going to be coming up in december so that's another reason you might want to sign up so you could have access to the patron cast enough about all that brian we have so many players we want to talk about let me get it started by mentioning a couple of players who are having really great seasons and we haven't talked about yet let's start with yuri hoodler on calgary would you have guessed brian that 24 games in he'd have 23 points almost a point per game pace i actually got offered yuri hoodler earlier in the season in a trade for the previously mentioned justin schultz and i rejected it now i'm kind of looking dumb for having done that what a great year for hoodler so far you're right elon hoodler is having a fantastic year kind of under the radar especially if you don't live on the west coast and you're not watching the late games but of course like every other flames for he is going to regress. He is scoring on 28% of his shots on goal. 
which is way too high. That's like double his current amount. So maybe you should chop his goal total in half. Then he'd have about five or six. He'd have about 17, 18, 19 points in 24 games played. And that is about, I think, what we should be reasonably expecting over the rest of the season. His teammates are also seeing a fair amount of shooting luck, as has been detailed in past weeks on the podcast, and that'll hurt him too when that begins to regress. But still, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's doing what he's doing right now, and it's fantastic. And the next player I wanted to mention is Alex Tangay on Colorado. And yesterday I was at my brother's engagement party, and I was a little bored at one point, so I started leafing through their books, and I saw a book called the greatest Stanley Cup champions of all time. And in the list was the Colorado Avalanche from their 2001 win. And it was really funny to see that Alex Tangay scored the winning goal of that Stanley Cup finals. And that was in 2001. So 13 years ago, the guy is 35 years old now, and he's still putting up great numbers. He's got so far eight goals and seven assists in 22 games this season. Also, he was injured for a couple of games. Since he's been back now for two, he's got a goal and three assists in that span and eight shots and goal in these last two games. So, Brian, is Alex Tange going to be able to keep this up and put together a 65 or so point season? Before answering, and the answer is no, so that's the short answer. But before going into my longer answer, I do remember that Av's Stanley Cup team with a young Alex Tange and Chris Jury. And I remember even Chris Jury being on the cover of NHL 2K2 for Sega Dreamcast. So thanks for that little walk down memory lane. Um, Tange, no, he's not going to do this all season. He is, like over his career, he's a fairly high percentage shooter, which is a good thing. He's still shooting a little bit above what he normally does. He's actually one of the rare guys that over his career, he's been very efficient, converting on 19% of his chances, which for most players in the league, I'd be like, nah, that's going to end soon. Like, don't even bother putting any eggs in that basket. But for him right now, he's shooting 22%, which is reasonably close to his career number. Now, you did mention he's 35 years old, so he can't necessarily do what he used to do, but it's being helped by two factors, and one is Matt Duchesne and Ryan O'Reilly being his line mates. Both those young guys can help do a lot of the heavy lifting while he can set himself up to be that efficient shooter that he generally is. And also his deployment, he's seeing more offensive zone starts than anybody else on his team and is playing on the Avalanche second power play unit with McKinnon, Aginla, and Landeskog. So he's being put in opportunities to succeed and thankfully so far he's taking advantage of them. I think he's worth a pickup in depth leagues. I don't think he's going to continue producing at this clip. However, I think he'll still be relevant through to the end of the season if he stays in all these plum positions in the lineup. Yeah, so far a rare bright spot on the Colorado Avalanche. But hey, a big win yesterday against Dallas, so maybe they're turning it around. I think that may say more about Dallas than it does about Colorado, actually. Dallas got trounced in possession by Colorado, which is very, very embarrassing. Let's move over to Minnesota now and talk about a guy who wasn't on anyone's radar until... A couple weeks ago, he had a game against Florida where he scored two goals on nine shots. I'm talking about Jason Zucker. And all of a sudden, we started seeing on Twitter and in the Facebook group, oh, who's the Zucker guy? Should I pick him up? And, you know, since then, he's still putting up okay numbers. It's only been a couple of games. Overall in the season, he has nine goals and three assists in 23 games, which is decent. Half point per game. Brian, what are your thoughts on Zucker over in Minnesota? 
Those who've been paying close attention to the wild over the last, well, year or so have noticed that there's been a fair amount of positive rumblings towards Jason Zucker. And if you hadn't noticed, he's been playing in Minnesota's top six for virtually the entire season so far. He did not have a lot to show for it, though, until a nine-shot explosion last Monday in a game against Florida, and he was rewarded with two goals for his efforts. Since then, he has two more points in his last three games to get onto a half a point per game pace over the course of the season. But at the same time, he's only got five shots on goal total in those last three games. His ice time has actually dropped by a couple minutes since the start of the year, but it seems like that's working out for him. He's on the second power play unit, but, well, no member of the Wild has really accomplished anything on the power play. It has been totally anemic this year for the Wild, sitting ahead of only Buffalo at a power play conversion rate beneath 10%. And just to digress here for a minute, Elon, that could help to partially explain the struggles of other Minnesota players like Granlin, Koivu, and Vonek, although those last two are beginning to show signs of life, more so Koivu than Vonek. I'd be remiss not to mention that the lone bright spot, though, on Minnesota's power play, if you can call it that, is Nino Niederreiter's four goals with the man advantage this year. Anyway, let's walk this back to Zucker. He's more valuable in a keeper format than he is in one-year leagues, but you should probably keep an eye on him in any case. And Elon, can I add one last note on Minnesota? Please. Actually, I even had another question I wanted to ask about Minnesota, but let's see what yours is. Okay, mine is actually a follow-up on what we mentioned at the top of the episode. With three very strong appearances this week, Nicholas Backstrom has surpassed Darcy Kemper in both goals against average and save percentage. Of course, this is the week my own opponent had Backstrom, so that stung. But four of Backstrom's last five games have been very good. If you're a Kemper owner that's been relying on him as a number one or number two, I'm not saying he's going to fall to number two in Minnesota, but it's probably a good time for you to start poking around for another goalie to support your fantasy team in case Kemper continues to be outplayed by Backstrom. Okay, yeah, Nicholas Backstrom, this goalie, you know, at one point I had completely written him off. He was doing so poorly, but I guess now he's doing something somewhat relevant. So hard to say what's going to happen with the Minnesota goalie situation. Also, Harding is lurking in the shadows and might be coming back at some point soon. Definitely something for us to keep our eyes on. Harding, by the way, looks like he's going to start in the AHL tonight. It's going to be his debut this season. So keep an eye on how he does there. I have no idea if he's going to end up back with the Wild. Putting him on waivers certainly didn't seem to bode well for his future with them, but I'm sure another team might probably be interested if you're holding out hope. But the first step is this start Sunday night with the Iowa Wild. Mm. And actually, the player I wanted to ask you about, Brian, is Marco Scandella, defenseman on the Wild. And this is a guy I hadn't heard of, a lot like Zucker. I'm not as savvy as you. But he's putting together a somewhat decent season. I see he's playing, you know, really good minutes, like around 21, 22 minutes a night. He's got eight points in 21 games. I guess I'm just curious to know, is this a guy whose role is going to increase? Is he like the second defense now behind Suter? Or is he still a completely irrelevant guy to you? Well, he's certainly relevant to the Minnesota Wild. He just signed a new contract that puts him with the team through to 2020, and he's going to be paid like someone they're going to rely on, an average value of $4 million. And right now, he's seeing actually more difficult deployment than 
pretty much all of his fellow defensemen, and he's handling it quite well. His possession numbers are still just barely in the positives, and of course, that's not necessarily fantasy value, but it does mean that he's a dependable defenseman who maybe will be rewarded with some offensive minutes or trusted in offensive situations. He's made the most of what he's had so far. He's recently been added to the second power play. He still has not even seen 15 minutes total on the ice with the man advantage, while four other wild defensemen have. He's working his share up, but right now he's seen just 11% of power play time to date for the Wild amongst defensemen. Keep an eye if that continues to rise, then he's probably worth a look in your league. He's not even seeing a whole lot of luck, which is what I expected to see when I looked at this. He's shooting better than a defenseman should be. He's probably seeing more goals than he should be. Like, you can probably take two or three goals off of his totals to date, which would actually take down his fancy relevance quite a bit. He puts up a couple blocks... I don't know, I feel like he's more dependable as a defensive guy than as a fantasy guy. But like you said, it's worth watching to see if his power play time continues to creep upwards and if that becomes an evolution of his role in Minnesota because right now he's clearly a defensive guy. Let's stick on defense. This is a player who I already know the answer to, but just as a PSA, Matt Niskanen is doing really well lately on Washington. He has five points in his last four games. But it should be pointed out that Mike Green has been injured during this span. So, Brian, I assume the answer here is don't expect this to stay happening for Niskanen because once Green comes back, he'll knock Niskanen down. Yeah, exactly. I think the Capitals signed Niskanen assuming that he might get a chance to take this role if Green gets injured or if they choose to part ways with Mike Green. But for now, Mike Green is still on the team. He'll be returning soon and he will come back into that prime offensive role and Niskanen will move back again, not getting the best offensive minutes with which he has produced that point total recently. Okay, next. It feels like you can't have an episode of Keeping Carlson without mentioning something about the Islanders, but I feel like a guy who we haven't given much attention to on that team that's done pretty well is Ryan Strom, who we got a question about recently on our Facebook group. Brian, what are your thoughts on Strom overall? Well, I picked up Strom towards the end of last season, and he did very little for me. So there are still fairly high expectations for him, and those are all reasonable. But me, personally, I'd kind of pushed him to the back of my mind because of my experience with him, thinking that he'd have to do something to get my attention if I was going to consider bringing him back onto my team. And so he got my attention with a two-week run in which he scored four goals and added four assists in seven games. He only sees the odd turn on the second power play unit, though, and at even strength, the Islanders are running a top nine rather than a top six, so he's seeing about 13 or 14 minutes a game alongside Brock Nelson and Anders Lee, and that unit as a whole is not seeing a whole lot of offensive zone starts at all. That actually goes for all lines on the aisles, other than the tavares okposo Kuleman line, which sees a large bulk of both minutes and offensive zone starts. And to preempt your question on Kuleman, he hasn't done a ton with that opportunity. It seems as though it doesn't matter who's in that second winger spot on the top line. Tavares and Okposo continue happily putting up points for themselves, regardless of who's riding along with them. Back to Strom, though. I still think he's worth watching. I don't know if he's quite there yet. It's sort of the story with a lot of the Islanders right now. Right now, he's on a pace for just under 60 points. I think I'd put him closer to 50 on the spectrum by the time the season is done. Okay, the next team I wanted to talk about is the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, they're an offensive team. So getting a top six role on Chicago should mean that you're going to get a lot of points. And looking at daily faceoff, I see a couple of players who are now 
you know, kind of fixtures in the top six are Brandon Saad and Christopher Stieg. And these aren't guys we've talked about very much this season. And I don't think they're so highly owned in most leagues. So Brian, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on both of those guys. Okay, so let's start with Brandon Saad. And he did recently what Brandon Saad tends to do. He went on a short run and then he fell off. Although this time his run was a little longer than usual. He picked up two goals and six assists to give him eight points over a 10-game stretch. He then went pointless in three, but then he got a goal against LA last night. So if he produces over the next three or four games, and in my mind, he levels up just a smidge in terms of ongoing fantasy value, I'm keeping an open mind as to whether he can do that or not. History would tell me that he goes pointless for another three or four games, but I'm ready for him to show me that something different is going to happen. Well, yeah, like I said, the reason why Saad piques my interest is he's currently playing with Jonathan Taves and Marion Hossa, so definitely two elite line mates. I think it would be hard to have so many scoreless games in a row playing with those guys. But I guess, like you say, time will tell. And Chris Versteeg is the other Blackhawk that has caught my attention and actually everybody's. I think he caught everybody's before he caught mine, but he has five goals and 10 assists for 15 points in his last 12 games. He's seen his time on ice rise slowly and steadily from 11 minutes in October all the way up to about 17 minutes a game now. His linemate Brad Richards has also been very impressive over the last little while as both of them are clicking well with Patrick Kane over the last 10 games or so. It doesn't matter if I tell you that Versteeg probably won't keep up his pace right now because in many leagues you should probably pick him up anyway until that regression kicks in. If you add him to your roster though, your job then is to watch for a run of games with low or no production. Once you see that, then you can feel comfortable pulling the shoot and dropping him gently back into the free agent pool, although his line mates will probably have something to do with that. And it's worth noting that while Saad and Versteeg are on the upswing, Andrew Shaw, who has been a big part of a lot of fantasy hockey talk over the last couple of years, getting opportunities on those top lines, he is the loser in all this. He is playing with Brian Bickle and Daniel Carcillo in Chicago's bottom six right now. Yeah, I saw you tweeted at some point from our Keeping Carlson Twitter account that if people are going to ask about Shaw, just know that you're like not into him. So don't waste your time. Thank you for summarizing that for the people who aren't following us on Twitter, although everybody should be at Keeping Carlson. Create an account just to follow us. Why not? All right. And now, unfortunately, we're nearing the end of the show. But Brian, I know you still have some more players you wanted to talk about. So let's head into the lightning round. Okay, today's lightning round, and actually the rest of the show is going to focus on defensemen. And let's begin with Michael Stone. His shots on goal and block numbers are great. He is a good number four, five, or six option for a team in a deep fancy league that counts those stats. He had eight blocks in his last game. Eight blocks! Before that, he had five, five, and six in the games previous. I actually needed blocks in my current matchup and was going to pick him up, but he had only one game left to play. Instead, I picked up Dan Girardi, who in two games put up fewer blocks than Michael Stone did in one game, and that actually lost me the category this week, so I'm feeling pretty badly. I'm going to add Michael Stone to my team as soon as I either drop Alex Semin or figure out what to do with Michael Roffel, who's sitting in an IR spot right now that he's no longer eligible for. Oh, and I guess since uh, you mentioned Roffel, he's out of the IR. Is he back on the top line in Philadelphia? Well, he hasn't been for the majority of the couple of games he's been back. He's been playing on a line with Scott Lawton and Wayne Simmons because Braden Shen stepped up to the top line and has been doing well. However, Raffle did end the most recent game playing on that top line with Giroud and Voracek. 
Philadelphia coach Craig Berube said that he likes Shen there, but he knows Raffle works there too. I don't know which way it's going to go. I think I'd like to see one or two more games to see how it shakes out. And if Shen stays there, I will count on Raffle not getting back up there anytime soon. Or if he does, I don't know if it would be for long enough to make an impact and be worthwhile adding to your team. So I hope that whole situation gets figured out quickly so that I can add Michael Stone to my fantasy team, and you should too, if your league counts peripherals. He's not going to score a lot of points, though. All right, who's the next defenseman you want to talk about? Well, Elon, the next defenseman, I thought the next time we brought him up on the show, it would be in a different portion. I thought he'd be in the snoozer section, but good on him. He remains in the lightning round. His name is Johnny Boychuk. And he's hurt right now. But looking past that, he's really managed well this year, putting up points consistently after a five-game pointless draught in late October. He's getting three shots on goal and a couple hits most nights, plus the occasional assist. And he has not been passed completely by Nick Letty or Lubomir Wisnowski on the Isles power play defensive depth chart, though he is sharing time with them a little more evenly. To my admitted surprise, he probably remains the best offensive option on the Isles blue line through 24 games, and you can probably keep hanging on to him for a little while longer in reasonably deep leagues. Yeah, it's actually tough times on the Islanders' defense right now because, like you said, Boychuk is injured. Also, Viznowski didn't play in the last game, so whichever of them comes back first probably has a bit of a short-term bump while the other one is still out since he'll get the increased opportunity. But Brian, you mentioned snoozers. If Boychuk's not a snoozer, who is? Well, I'm going to stick with the theme of defensemen who surprised us early in the season, but let's talk about two that have dropped off. One is Damon Severson of the New Jersey Devils. He's become a big minute eater on the blue line, stepping into a big role, seeing 24 minutes or more in each of his last four games, but he's only been on the score sheet in two of his last 16 games. He scored no goals and three assists, going way back to October 28th. That contrasts very sharply with the eight points he gathered in his first eight career NHL games. He's got healthy shot counts in the meantime, so it's not like he's doing nothing for your team, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that there might just be a better option available for you in free agency if you still have Severson on your roster at this point. So then at this point, are there any New Jersey Devils defensemen that you would want to have on your roster? Or do you think they're all pretty much fantasy irrelevant? Because Zidlitschke and Green, you know, aren't really doing much either. Funny you should ask, because while preparing for the show, I was looking to see if Andy Green might be stepping back up into the role that he's seen in the past in terms of production from the blue line for the Devils. And the answer is it doesn't really look like he is, although maybe just a little bit. That's the best I can give you for now. I think Marek Zidlitschke is still a pretty decent option if you're looking for one guy on the blue line to own from the Devils, but it's worth noting that Andy Green and Damon Severson at even strength are seeing the most difficult assignments for the Devils, so they're not really being put in a position where they can put up a lot of even strength points. If Severson is going to keep scoring, he's going to have to take advantage of his spot on the first power play unit. All right, and let's round this out with your final snoozer of the week. Okay, still owned in 35% of Yahoo leagues that definitely aren't deep enough to warrant it, Neil Yakupov of the Edmonton Oilers. He is far off everybody's fantasy radar, though that doesn't mean he's doing anything impressive with the stealth that he gains from being off the radar. In fact, to continue the analogy, he hasn't even left the runway 
since a decent but probably lucky rookie half-year in the lockout shortened season. He's got seven points in 24 games, none in his last eight games, and he's put up just one shot on goal in six of his last seven games. He's got some of the poorest possession numbers on his team despite playing the most sheltered minutes. He probably deserves to have a couple more points by now, but even they wouldn't be enough to push him into fantasy relevance at this point. His ice time has dropped from the high teens to the low teens, and has recently been pushed back up towards the middle of that range, playing 14 and 16 minutes in his last two contests. All this to say, you probably don't need him on your team right now. What a shame. What do you think, if let's say the Oilers were to trade Yakupov, do you think he could still resurrect his career, or do we have a Dagla on our hands? Dag does not get credit he deserves. I just want to start by saying that. Like, he had huge expectations. If you look at his numbers, like, in the current era, they'd stand up well. They didn't stand up so well back then, but he wasn't totally useless. He just was not the immediate superstar everybody wanted, and I think his development suffered. But okay, sorry, let's not focus too much on Alexander Daigle. We're talking about Yakupov here. And I feel like, I don't know, fresh start could help. I feel like anybody leaving the Oilers could help them. It's not a good place to be right now, although Yakupov is responsible for his own fortunes to some extent. I don't think all his talent has disappeared. I don't think we're looking at a Nikita Filatov situation quite yet. But certainly, I mean, we're starting to think so a lot earlier than we probably would have. All right. Thanks again, Brian, for another solid episode of Keeping Carlson. And thanks, of course, to all the listeners for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And we would also appreciate, of course, if you enjoyed the show, why not head on over to iTunes? Give us a five-star review. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, read us the credits. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast was presented by Daily Faceoff, and it was supported by our patrons. You can be one by going to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. To prepare and research this podcast, we used waronice.com, Pocalytics, Behind the Net, Daily Faceoff, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Thanks again, Brian, and I'll catch you next week. Thanks, Elon. Until then... Keep on keeping Carl Sand.